Welcome to Wanja City. My name is Wanja City. You are now on board a refreshing tour through the book of Revelation. Our slogan for this series is A Revelation a Day Keeps the Darkness Away. Here at Wanja City, we have more than audacity. We learn of the light of God and spread it abroad. We are like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, neither can our light. Welcome to today's light, today's revelation. In the previous episode, we had an introduction to the revelation and encountered Jesus, the revelation, in his awesome, brilliant glory as presented to us by the witness and author, John. We saw that we are blessed just by reading, hearing, and putting to heart the words of this prophecy of revelation. We also mentioned the seven lampstands, among which stood one like a son of man, and the seven stars or angels to the churches, and the seven lampstands we had are, of course, the seven churches, as you mentioned. Now, in this second episode of Revelation, we dive right into t- chapter 2 and hear the messages to four out of the seven churches mentioned. In episode 3, which is our next episode, we shall look into the remaining three of the seven churches. Are these real churches, someone may be asking? Short answer, yes. From what I understand, these seven churches are real churches that existed or still exist in what is present-day Turkey. Some apparently still exist today, uh, like Smana, and it would make a worthwhile visit just to see whether there are any remains of the buildings, whether they exist or not. I mean, I'd love to see it. But for now, suffice it to say that, yes, these seven churches really did exist and have relevance to us now because they represent real-life issues that the church today faces. That's why we are looking at them. That this is more than a story of and for churches past but for churches present and why lampstand by the way someone else may be asking why are they symbolized as lampstands these seven churches someone is asking good question now as a wanjacity person i will tell you it's because lampstands hold up light and it is our work as the church of christ to shine this light to our world in darkness and now and now to these seven churches we've mentioned so much It is Jesus who is giving these messages to each church through John, who we met last episode as the author of the book to the angels in each church. What John did was write the letters to the addressees, and these are our reference point for the episode. There's a noticeable pattern in these messages. One, Jesus identifies himself. Two, he describes himself. Three, he commends the church. Four, he reprimands the church. Five, he encourages the church. Six, he gives a command. And then lastly, he gives a promise. So identification, description, commendation, reprimand, encouragement, a command, and finally a promise. And these to each of the seven churches, which shows a very personal knowledge of each church. It is also to my mind how exactly a loving authority should address his people. It's a personal yet powerful address. Right. On to church number one out of the four we will meet in this second episode. The church is in Ephesus. Now, my limited understanding points to Ephesus being a cosmopolitan in its day. Hey, The church was in danger of falling to false teaching because of idolatry. Jesus himself identifies himself, that is, as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is very much in line with what John told us in chapter 1. So far, so good. Jesus then commends the church in Ephesus for their deeds, hard work, and their perseverance. 
In this message, as indeed all the rest, it is very personal. As he says, and he continually says, I know. Jesus knows. It is not someone else's report of the particular people that Jesus is referencing. Rather, it's a very personal knowledge. Jesus says, I know. Okay. And so he goes on, commending the Ephesus church for not tolerating wicked people and for testing those who claim to be apostles, but are actually false. And he seems very proud of them for persevering, for enduring hardships for his name, and for not growing weary. I mean, it's very commendable. And here he comes. Yet. Yes. Yet. This Jesus holds against them. Yet you have forgotten your first love, verse 4 tells us. And in verse 5, it's recorded that he urges them to remember the height from which they've fallen and repent. Do the things you did at first. That's basically what he's saying. Didn't I tell you after the commendation come the reprimand? There it is. Ephesus was doing so well in persevering, in maintaining pure doctrine in the midst of an idolatrous cosmopolitan. Yet, Jesus was unimpressed by their failure to hold on to their first love. In fact, in verse 5, he goes on to say, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Ouch. Clearly, love is very key to a relationship with Jesus. It seems fair to say that failure to focus on maintaining a relationship, a love relationship with Jesus, would mean a failure to love others too. And anyone who knows anything about Jesus knows he loves people. And here is a relevance to us today. It is greatly commendable to hold on to truth and all the more in an idolatrous society. After all, that's what lampstands do. They bear light. And what is more light than the word of God? So that's commendable. In the same breath, the warning is not to sacrifice that first love that led us to Jesus. Good works simply cannot replace our love for God. Is my knowledge of truth, my holding on to pure doctrine, making me too critical, proud, or self-righteous? Has my passion for Jesus waned so much that I do not lovingly witness to others? Has yours? You see, the remedy is also there. Remember the height from which you have fallen and repent. Okay. Now, because Jesus is awesome like that, he encourages Ephesus, telling them that they hate what he hates also. That's the practice of some people called Nicolaitans. I don't know who these were. And that Jesus holds in their favor. Mark this phrase. It's repeated over and over. To the one who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This right after saying to Ephesus, sorry, right after saying this to Ephesus, Jesus promises that those who overcome, he will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's it to the church in Ephesus. It ends with a promise. If you overcome, you'll eat from the tree of life. You'll get the right to eat it. And if you know Genesis, remember that tree of life? Yeah, so who doesn't want to eat that? Secondly, there's a second church. And that's in Smyrna. That's how I'm calling it. It's, it's S-M-Y-R-N-E. Smyrna. This one is brief. It is only one of the two churches out of the seven listed that is not rebuked or reprimanded. The other one is Philadelphia, which we'll see in the next episode. So yes, Smyrna. Here, Jesus identifies himself as, quote, the first and the last who died and came to life again. You can find this in verse 8. Again, he knows them personally. He knows their afflictions and poverty. Yet, oh boy, here it is again. Yet, 
you are rich, he says. Wow, that's a compliment, right? Rich despite their poverty and afflictions. Jesus goes on to tell Smyrna that he knows the slander from those of Satan. And then he encourages them not to be afraid of what they are about to suffer. He tells Smyrna that the devil would put some of them in prison to test them and they'd suffer persecution for 10 days. Don't ask me why 10 days, I really don't know. So Jesus encourages Smyrna to be faithful even to the point of death and that he would give them the crown of life. Okay, things are already getting thick here in Revelation and we're only in the second chapter. But let's despair. Jesus repeats that phrase again, urging those with ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he promises Smyrna that the one who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And that's it for the letter to Smyrna. Now Smyrna, like Ephesus, as I understand it, still exists today. Why is that remarkable? Maybe it's because we overcome, we conquer the world through a suffering church like Smyrna and not as we would expect through a triumphant church that knows no suffering. Now, hold up. I'm not saying for you to go out seeking unnecessary suffering to prove a point. No, some of you really stop. Don't suffer for suffering's sake. Learn from Smyrna that should Jesus choose that for you, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches and overcome because it is by persevering through suffering that Jesus is revealed to the broken dark world, not you looking for unnecessary suffering. Are we together, people? Pagamum is the third church addressed. To this church, Jesus describes himself as him who is, quote, has the sharp double-edged sword, unquote. More confirmation of what John saw in chapter 1, you may want to look that up in our first episode, Revelation. Jesus says, I know where you live. Mm-hmm. He knows where you live. In the case of Pagamum, we are told it is where Satan has his throne. Hmm. Does anyone else feel like they neighbor Satan? Yet, there it is again, yet, Pagamam, despite living where Satan has his throne, did not renounce their faith in Jesus, and not even in difficult times. There was some person called Antipas, so they were difficult times, and that's very commendable. And here it comes. Nevertheless, they had people among them who held on to Balaam's teaching. Balaam, <laughs> Balaam is that guy from Old Testament. He had a talking donkey. It's a very interesting story, but for right now, He's pointed out for enticing the people to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. So that's the problem. His teaching is enticing people to sin. And also held against Pagamam by Jesus was that there were some among them who held on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Do you remember these ones? We mentioned them in Ephesus. Even Ephesus hated Nicolaitans' practices and Jesus liked that about them. Pagamam, you're not doing too well on this point. Now, basically, Pagamam was steadfastly faithful, but was enticed by false teachings. This is the lesson we can learn today, to keep the word of God as the standard of judgment so we can separate truth from false and then avoid enticement from the likes of Balaam's teachings. Jesus then commands Pagamam to repent. Otherwise, he would soon come to them and fight against them with the sword of his mouth. Oh, okay, this makes sense. Remember him describing himself as the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. It wasn't a, a threat for nothing. It's actually a promise. Like, do this, son, or I'm going to come and fight you with the sword of his mouth. I mean, it sounds rather combative. You don't see it? Anyway, he finishes with a promise again, as has been the pattern. And that promise has followed the phrase to listen to the spirit 
And here at Pergamum, the promise is that to the one who overcomes, he'll be given some of the hidden manna. Also, he'll be gifted or they'll be gifted with a white stone with a name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Cool, 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 cool. Like a secret name. So cool. He used to overcome it. The first church, and the last for this episode, is that in Thyatira. Again, I hope I'm spelling it correctly because it's T-H-Y-A-T-I-R-A, Thyatira. Here, Jesus describes himself as the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Once again, remember John's description? Yes. And here, he still knows them personally. He knows their deeds, their love, their faith and service, their perseverance, and he knows that they are doing more now than they did at first. That sounds perfect. Sounds right. Perfect to me. What could they possibly have done wrong? Nevertheless, sure enough, there it is. Something. And it's a big something. Despite all the boxes they have ticked so far, the love, the service, the perseverance, nevertheless, Jesus holds it against them that they tolerate Jezebel. Ooh. That's a fake prophetess. Her teaching is misleading to Jesus' servants because it leads them into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols, basically to the scene that sounds very much like the previous church we saw in Pergamum, doesn't it? Yeah. So Jesus says he'd given Jezebel enough time to repent of her sexual immorality and she wasn't willing. And now it was time to punish her and strike her children dead. Mm. Jesus doesn't play around when it comes to doing his stuff. And why would he do that? It's so that the churches will know that he is who he says he is. I am who I say I am, Jesus. He who searches hearts and minds repaying each according to their deeds. To those who do not hold on to Jezebel's teachings and so-called Satan's deep secrets, it's for them to hold on to what they have until he comes. And for those who would overcome, the promise to the church is authority over nations. Authority over nations. Just as Jesus has received authority from his father, God, so would he in the same vein give it to the overcomer. Oh, yes. On top of that, in addition, they'd be gifted the gift of the morning star. Don't ask me what that is, but even that sounds cool. Then he finishes with the charge, as we know it by now, say together, the one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's how we conclude. The that's also how we conclude today's lesson from Revelation 2. Ah, these sound awesome. Awesome gifts. A morning star. There's authority of a nations. There's a white stone with a secret name that no one else has. There are just so many and they're all cool. We've also had Jesus' different descriptions of himself. They're just different. And the warnings, the commendations, the encouragement to the churches that we've met so far. And what's important is that they do have relevance to us today from a church point. Whether it's to remember our first love or to repent or to hold fast to the truth, we must learn uh, to do what it is that we're not doing right. Some of us need to go back to the first love we had, passion for Jesus. Some of us really need to hold on to truth despite amazing opposition. And some of us need to probably do all that, whichever way it is. Remember and repent. And then hold fast to the truth. There's much more for us to learn in the coming episodes. But for now, go out and shine like the brilliant lampstand you are.
Yes, you are like a city on a hill whose light will not be dimmed. Because here at Wanjar City, we are audacious about, about our light shining for Christ. So until... next time, go forth and shine. My name is Majacity and you have been on the second leg of the Revelation 2 tour right here on Majacity.